Yes, I thank you, Spencer. Um, I had a, I pressed my mute button right here. So what I was saying, guys, is if you could hear me, type yes, but you couldn't hear me because I had pressed my mute button. So that was all that much more reason for that test. Um, Spencer, you should have a picture. Um, does everybody else see me? Spencer said he, he can't hear me, but I think everybody else can see me. Okay, yeah, everybody can see me and hear me now, so we're good. So um, to, to give you a broad overview, and I like to say this at the beginning of every one of my YouTube Q&As, and you guys probably already getting tired of hearing this if you attend these regularly, but what we guide people to do is licensing. And when, with, when you're doing licensing, you don't need money. You don't, well, I'm not saying you don't need any money, but I'll, you'll, get, you'll get my point in a minute here. You don't need to raise money is the way I would put it. You don't need to hire employees. And you don't need to start a business and you don't need any existing distribution for similar types of products. Because when you license to a big company, you basically are that big company. Um, and they have a pipeline of maybe they have 20 products, 50, 100, 200 products. And your product is just one more product in that machine. And it truly is a machine because their sales, marketing, manufacturing, advertising are doing work to sell their existing products. And now you're one more product in that machine. And that's a very good thing because not only are they going to be able to make it, but they're going to be able to distribute it and sell it and have all those people in place from accounting to sales to marketing to manufacturing. And when you try to start your own one SKU, one product company, um, that doesn't give you the economies of scale to do those things. And then also retailers don't really take you very seriously. They'd really rather order from a company that has, you know, five or three or 10 products in their store already. Just imagine if you're the buyer for a major retail store and every single product in the store might be 50,000, 200,000, had a different vendor. They don't want to shoot themselves in the head like pretty damn quick. That's a just bad joke, but you get the idea. So now I admire people that want to venture and sell their own products um, directly to retailers. It's very admirable. It's also very, very difficult. It's not something you can do with a job. Um, it's not something you can do kind of on the side. It's like it's very involved. So and one of the ways it's very involved is, is money wise. So when you license to a big company, they have unlimited money. They have lines of credit, you know, for a product that sells well. So if your product's selling well, they're not going to they're going to be able to get more money to sell more. If you try to sell it yourself and you fight tooth and nail to get into retailers and it's selling well, a lot of times nobody will lend you money um, because they're you're inexperienced. They're worried about you crashing at some point. Um, and so that's the first thing you get when you license. You have that money from that big company. And for a product that sells well, they have lines of credit with their bank. If they don't have that amount of money, they probably do have that amount of money to be able to scale up. Um, and then you tap into their workforce. So you don't need to hire all these employees um, and because it's their workforce. And then, like I said before, it's existing distribution. If they're in 30,000 stores, you're in 30,000 stores. So you're tapping into everything that's already there, that machine that's already there. And that's called licensing. And then you get a royalty. You get 99.9% .9 of our students. I saw an exception where a student was getting paid a royalty like once a year, another one once a month. But 99.5% of them are getting paid every three months quarterly. So then you get paid a royalty quarterly. Sometimes people go, oh, only a five or only 8% royalty. Like I could make 25% if I sold it myself or 20% royalty. But it's like you trying to sell it on your own and selling 2,000 units a year or them selling 200,000 units a year. So you're selling, let's say they're selling 200,000 units a year and you're getting a 6% royalty or you selling 2,000 units, you're getting a 20% profit margin. Well, you do the math and that might be minus other costs that you still have if you're making and selling it yourself. So what I'm saying is people sometimes discount licensing because they think they'll make less money because they're looking at the royalty rate. And so another thing I talk about on my YouTube show really, really often is it's not just the royalty rate, it's the royalty rate the price of the product, is it a 99 cent product or $200 product, and the volume they can sell. And you add those three numbers together and that's how much you're earning, not just the royalty rate. So um, anyway, I, I always like to mention that sort of thing. So it gives people a, a heads up. Let's go ahead and start answering some questions. Um, 
Uh, phone saver said, you're very loud. Only joking. Okay. I am kind of loud. As my wife tells me that I can be pretty loud, but I think that's good. You know, you, you want me whispering like this? So you can barely hear what I'm saying on the YouTube. No, you don't want me doing that. Um, so, and if I'm too loud, you can always turn the volume down. Right. Um, uh, Damien said, Hey, Andrew, how's it going? I can hear you quick, uh, clearly. Cause we were asking earlier cause I had pressed my mute button, which is the reason I always ask you guys if you can hear me. It's too easy to press the mute button on this thing. I got this silly microphone here. Um, it's a little too easy. Um, big uh, Deidre said, big company wants to represent my product by showing 45 companies. Um, well, Deidre, probably if they're approaching you, that's probably what's called an invention promotion company. And the Federal Trade Commission, the Patent Office warns against those types of companies. Um, you can learn more. You can go to inventorfraud.com and there are some jumping off points there. If you're looking for somebody to license your product for you, you're in for a world of hurt. There's a ton of companies out there that say they'll do it. Who knows if they're doing anything? And then a year they're like, oh, you know, um, no, nobody's interested. And they took 10 or 12 grand from you. And uh, we hear that story at InventRight for the last 21 years, just about every day or every other day at the very least. So if you think that a company is going to, these aren't the companies you license to. These are service providers that say they'll sell your idea for you. So you can read about that at the Federal Trade Commission website. Google, if you know some of these companies' names, Google them and you'll see like endless list of complaints. So um, you need to go directly to the, your potential licensees. So who are you licensing to? That's a good thing to talk about. You're not licensing to a retailer like a Target or a Walmart. You're licensing to the companies that are selling in a Target or Walmart or the equivalent for an industrial product or any other type of retailer. I just use, I overuse those retailers, but those are ones people are familiar with. And so you're licensing to the company that sells to the retailer, not the retailer themselves. So Deidre, what I'm saying is you need to go directly to those potential licensees, to those manufacturers. Now, these aren't manufacturers like an Alibaba or Thomas Register. These are brands. They manufacture their own products. Maybe they make them overseas. Maybe they make themselves. doesn't matter one way or another um, in that, you know, they are manufacturing it and they have distribution at the store level where you're trying to get your products to. So they're a brand, you know, and that's who you're licensing to. So what I would recommend that you do, Deidre, is license directly to those companies. And you'll know what's going on when you approach those companies. And we guide our students to do that. Um, and you will know that they said yes or no. And you'll get a lot of no's. You only need one yes. But when you ask somebody else to do that, you don't know if there's, they usually don't provide any proof at all that they even reached out to those companies. Um, so be really careful of that. Javier said, would a trademark work the same way as protection for your invention like a provisional patent? Would a trademark work? No, because a trademark is not a patent. A trademark is... Um, I was going to, I have a credit card sitting here. I was going to lift, I was going to hold that up. I can because I'm going to hold up the front. So this is a credit card. Um, it's United Explore Mileage Plus card. So United is an airline, right? This is my credit card. And um, if somebody else tried to use the word United in association with an airline, United's lawyers would be calling. So um, trademarks are representative of not only the mark themselves, but the category they're in. If somebody else used United for um, insulation for your house, that probably wouldn't be a problem as long as there's not confusion in the mind of the consumer. So Javier, a trademark um, will protect you, but you it will only protect your word mark or your logo mark, which is the logo. So let's say for United, and this is their logo there. So that's a logo mark and that's a word mark, United, okay? And it's really weird on a public YouTube show that I'm holding up my credit card, but I didn't hold up the back, so I think I'm okay. Um, but uh, yeah, that was a bad idea. I have to look back at the video, make sure I didn't flip it around. So it, it, I, I have a hard time. I gotta use these things just to look at the credit card because they make it the, 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 the um, credit card number so faint. Um, but, uh, but here's the thing with trademarks, unlike patents, you can get a patent on something and not do it and prevent other people from doing it. You can't do that with a trademark. You can do it for a period of time, but you're putting people on notice, hey, I've registered for this trademark. But if you don't use a trademark in commerce, 
you can't keep other people from using it. So that's how trademarks and patents are different. Trademarks, you got to use them in commerce for them to have value. And you don't even have to like, if for InventRight, you'll see it says TM right here. That's just a common law trademark. That's free. That doesn't cost you anything to do. And we've been in business almost, I think about 22 years now. I say 21, but I think we've hit 22. Um, and it's only, it was only about three years ago we applied for a registered trademark. So, but because we use it in commerce so much, if anybody did anything with inventors and used the word invent right, just through showing our track record over 21 years, even before we filed a registered trademark, we could kick their butt, you know? But so you don't have to even register it. And that, I'm not giving you guys legal advice. So everything I share with you is not legal advice. Please consult an attorney. If you're looking for legal advice, that was the disclaimer I always share on every YouTube show. But um, so we didn't even apply for the trademark. And so for to run out, every time you come up with an idea and file a registered trademark is not a good use quite often of your money um, because you don't know if anybody's going to be interested. I mean, what's great with licensing the way we teach it is you can file a $75 provisional patent and see if there's interest. And so, and or, uh, people run out and spend $20,000 on pounds, but you don't have to do that. It's the same thing with the trademark. You could file a registered trademark. You file it with a common law trademark. You literally just put TM on your sell sheet wherever you're, when you're sending it to people. But that's not quite the same in that, you know, if you don't use it in commerce, but you're kind of putting people on notice and stuff. We have never had one of our students that I'm aware of get knocked off by a company they presented to. Um, you know, when the, when their students have filed provisional patents, filed a, a PPA and put patent pending on the sell sheet and they put trademarks on there. And we've never had anybody steal a trademark or steal the product. So um, but make a long story short, um, Javier, is no, you can't just use trademarks as a substitute for filing a provisional patent application or a patent. No. And and a lot of the time they don't even want your name. They want they love the product, but they're like, we're going to call it something else. So, but the way you can protect yourself there, which is additional protection, is just put TM on it, on your sell sheet, or, you know, when you're right next to the name, and you're putting them on notice, you intend on using it. So, um, and I've never had one of our students say the company, like, steal their trademark, or let, let alone their invention. Um, so, um, is this something you can do? Yes. Are you going to go out and register every trademark? Um, I'm, you need to talk to your attorney for advice on that, but I can tell you, I wouldn't do that. Um, no, not even close. Not when you're licensing. Uh, Jeff said, you're the best. Thank you. Thank you, Jeff. Um, yeah, I think you attend pretty regularly. I, I recognize your name. Um, Glenn said, and get some more questions coming in guys. Um, a, Glenn said a comic book company is interested in my comic book story. Um, publishing is a little different, but let's read the full question. How long should I give them to go over the pitch and the first 10 comic book pages? It's just been under three weeks since I sent the package. Um, so they're interested in your story. How long should you give them? Well, if they already let you know they're interested, wouldn't you have a discussion with them? So, um, but it sounds like Glenn knows a little bit about publishing because quite often what people do when they're publishing books is they'll do a sample chapter and then maybe an outline for the entire book before they even write the whole thing. That's really smart because then there's an opportunity for a publisher to say, well, I'd like something like this. It's interesting, but I'd like this. And you could rewrite something, but to rewrite an entire book would be really difficult. So um, I don't know why you're saying they're interested and you're saying it's been just three weeks. So I don't know if they showed, should I give them three weeks to go over the pitch? So I don't know if you're, this is common with inventors sometimes, like they got a product in and they're saying that the company's interested, but they just got the product in. So if you just got it in, I mean, I would give them some time. Um, publishers take forever to look over stuff. And a lot of times they don't even have time to look over it. Um, my brother is a very successful publishing company. They don't do comic books. And um, if if you're not already a successful, uh, if you don't already have an audience, he won't consider you. It's not, it doesn't matter how great it is. He just won't. He wants um, people with an audience already. 
Um, and a lot of uh, publishers feel that way. Um, he does a lot of like exercise books and diet books. So he wants those. Usually those people already have an audience. So that's kind of unique to him. If you're writing a fiction book, I don't think that's necessarily the case. It's just so time consuming to go through those things. So if it's been three weeks. I might give them another two weeks and just follow up. Or you could follow up now and just saying, um, what's your process? Um, how long should I wait to hear back? Uh, willing to, uh, I'm very patient, no worries. Um, something like where you're not sounding pushy, but just want to understand your process. And if you will be reviewing it and uh, when, when I can expect to hear back and just but I'm okay with whatever timeline you give me, you know, something like that. That's what I would do, Glenn. Um, philosopher says, hi, Steve, my invention. My, my name's Andrew. Our other co-founder is Steve. I'm Andrew. Um, hi, Steve. My invention is brand new, but similar to other products. Considering my invention is brand new, how difficult it is to find a company willing to risk taking on new products? Well, what you said is great. It's really an ideal scenario for some companies and not others. Every company is different. But to me, most companies, especially when they're somewhat risk adverse, which is what you're worried about, and you've got a variation. So if they're somewhat similar to a lot of other products in that space, then you've got a variation of it. For a, a company that's a little um, hesitant about something completely new, they like that. Um, and because it proves there's a market, there's a bunch of, let's say it's a barbecue spatula and there's a bunch of barbecue spatulas out there and yours is like those 10 other barbecue spatulas, but it's got this little extra something. It's got a notch in it that makes it clean the grill easier, but it's got the benefits of those other ones as well. So in that case, if the company is a little bit risk adverse. That's a big plus. It's not a negative at all. So, um, yeah, I see that as, as, as a big plus. So, you know, what you, have, what you need to realize is when you get no's from these companies, some of the marketing managers, usually you want to send to a marketing manager, they were actually interested in your product, um, but they just didn't have the time to take it on. So the, And they're not going to reply saying, well, this is very fascinating and I really like this product, but I just don't have the time. They're not going to do that because they know you're going to hound them then, right? And so um, realize that and when a company gives you generic, not at this time, not a rematch, reach back out like six months later to the same company that said no. We only started guiding our students to do that about eight, nine years ago out of our 21 years. And I get students licensing stuff all the time that way. Realize that it's not the company that reject you. It's one person in the company. Does that mean you reach out to everybody? No, not saying that. What I'm saying is um, they're in a time and space where they've got tons of emails, different projects. They're busy or they're not as busy. Most people are very busy or maybe their boss said we need new products two weeks earlier or their boss said we've got other initiatives. We've got to focus on marketing these existing products. And so you don't know when you're never going to know when you're hitting them and what their mindset is. So when a company doesn't show interest in your product, don't think it's a hard stop that they're not interested in that product. It's not the case. Now, if a company says it won't work and because of this and they give you reasons, don't resubmit to them if you can't fix those reasons. But most of the time when you're licensing, you're not gonna get those reasons even when you ask. Um, so let me go back. Okay, that was that was philosopher Paul, okay. P.S. it's not a wacky invention, it's relatively simple. So Paul, the fact that there are a bunch of other similar products, big plus, not a negative. And, and that's for everybody else here too, big plus. Now, then people say, whenever I say that, they'll go, oh, but it's so different. There's not a bunch of other stuff like that. I'm like, okay, you know, <laughs> it is what it is. You're going to send it to the companies that you think are right for it, and you can't overthink it. Sometimes um, our students will send me something, and they'll say, what do you think they're thinking? And I'm like, I don't know. Why don't you ask them? You know, just ask. Like, people, the more communication you can have with the companies, the better. But being direct to the points, so you're not wasting your time. You're not rambling. And when you're unclear on something, ask, like, you know, thank you so much for the feedback. I accept that you're not interested in this product. Can you take 30 seconds to clarify what you mean? It might help me to further, you know, license to work, keep working on my product, things like that. That's just an example. Um, let's see. Swak said, I'm in, we're better than another company. Yeah, definitely. I think we're better than than that company um uh phone savers you can just google that company and you'll 
find pages of information about them. Um, uh, let's see. Deidre said, what would we do without you? You are such a blessing. Thank you. Thank you, Deidre. That's nice of you. Um, Tracy said, am I okay to begin sales of a product with a provisional patent? How much protection does a well-written provisional afford a business? Um, am I okay to begin sales with a provisional? Yeah, all I can tell you is that our students have been doing them since provisionals came out. And we have never had one of our students that let me know, which I'm sure they would, um, that got knocked off by a company they presented to. So um, you're absolutely, in my opinion, okay with presenting to companies with a provisional patent application. Realize, for those of you who are new, a provisional patent is not a patent. It's a temporarily placeholder that if you later file a patent, you can reference that provisionally. You'll have protection for what was in there from that date. So it's not a patent. So attorneys will correct um, me and everybody else on this, and they're actually right um, in calling it a provisional patent application, which what it, that's what PPA stands for, provisional patent application. When people call it a provisional patent for short, it's not accurate. It's an application. It's not a patent. If that year passes and you don't file a patent to reference that provisional, you're not going to have protection from that date. Now, if you hadn't made public disclosure, a lot of things that one thing that people don't know is you can file that provisional again and get another year. You don't get a year from the original provisional, get a year from the new provisional, providing you haven't made public disclosure. And I won't bore you guys with what public disclosure is because I cover that almost every time. But um, I, I get a lot of inventors where I save them like 10 grand. They're calling me up about our program. They're like, Andrew, but my provisional is going to run out in three weeks. And my, this patent attorney told me if I don't, I don't spend 10 grand with them and file a full utility patent that that I'm going to lose my rights. And I'm like, well, that's a uh, half truth. Yes, he'll lose that date from that earlier provisional patent, but he won't lose his rights. If he hasn't publicly disclosed of it, the one year on bar rule hasn't started ticking. He could file that exact same provisional and at 75 bucks and get a year of protection from today. And yes, if somebody came up with it between that year and the year from right now, the time he files a new provisional, yeah, then he'd be out of luck. But I can tell you, in all the years we've been doing event right, I have never seen that happen. So there's all these scenarios that people go, they do these what if scenarios, and I'm like, yeah, that could happen. But I've literally, with students in over 65 countries for the last 21 years, never seen it happen. It could, and so you might want to measure that against you spending 10 grand. And I bet I pissed off a lot of attorneys that thought they were going to get a sale when I enlightened the inventor that has never publicly disclosed it to anybody that they can just file that provisional again. Are they taking a slight risk? Yes. Is that worth $10,000? 99% of the time, personally, for what I would do, I would say yes. Um, and again, anything I share with you today is not legal advice. Um, uh, let's see. So Tracy, yes, um, our students, we guide our students to file provisional patent applications. We give them software to do so. So they literally only have to pay the $75 to the patent office. Um, we, with our coaching, we don't include the $75 patent office fee, of course. And um, you can file as many provisionals with that software we give our students to as you want. Um, let's see. Zion Creative Studio, is it possible to license? And if you guys want to type your first name so I don't have to read your handle, I don't care either way, but um, is it possible to license a video game? That's not true. I actually do like getting your first name. Is it possible to license a video game? How much work would you have to do to present the product? I would say licensing a video game is very um, would be very, very difficult. Um, you're basically saying, here's my concept. I mean, if you're a programmer, and you're programming a freaking video game and you've got a programmed video game, yeah, you can license that. But I think what a lot of uh, gamers that are avid gamers, they come up with these wild concepts, which is great. You know, it's creative, you know. Oh, you should do a video game that does this or that. But the video game companies don't take that very seriously. And you're probably like, well, Andrew, what's the difference there? Like if you come up with a new barbecue spatula variation and because the company looks at it and go, oh, we just need to put a notch there. Or, oh, for these eyeglasses, we just need to put a keeper that works a little different or whatever. And they're like, okay, we got it. But when you pitch a video game concept to a video game company, they're like, well, that's all great. But that's going to take like 20 guys in a room, like 
10 months to program. It's not the same thing. Um, and probably every video gamer and their grandmother is giving that stuff away for free. Oh, you should do a video game that does this or that. Do I think they're taking those? No, probably not. They're probably not even looking at them. Um, probably looking what's hot in the market. So if you're not a programmer, uh, would I recommend you work on a video game or over a kitchen gadget or an automotive product or gardening product or one of millions of other consumer products? No, I would not. Um, so I, I think it's very unlikely that you're able to make that happen. Um, uh, you, I never, know how, I've seen this name before. I never know how to pronounce it. You, Euclid, Euclid, E-U-C-L-I-D. I think it's Euclid. If if you want to later do a phonetic pronunciation, Euclid, so I learn how to pronounce pronounce that name. I could probably Google it later, but I probably won't bother. Um, I'd appreciate that. Should you sell or license your idea? And do companies buy ideas? That I love that idea, that that um, question because it's going to help everybody on the line. The last thing you should do is try to, I want you to sell you my patent. I want to sell you my idea. Bullshit. Don't do that. That is the wrong thing to do. It's the wrong mindset. They will never pay you what it's worth up front. Now, if you've started your own business and you're in 10,000 stores, and okay, maybe. But even then, I would say license it, like sell your company and also get a licensing fee then. But that's not where most of you are or most of our students are. You know, you just have this concept. And you have a product, maybe you have a prototype, maybe you developed it. Most of our students haven't sold a single unit. And you can license stuff left and right that way. But you don't tell them you want to sell them your invention. You want to license it. Because they think about it. They're investing tens or hundreds of thousands of dollars to launch this new product. And you're asking for 50K, 100K up front. It does not go over well at all. You'll kill the deal right away. Even big companies don't want to do that. And this could be on a product. Let's say it's something you were gonna you want to ask 50 or 100k for. This could be on a product that literally the licensing money coming in would be 100k a year. But you ask for it as they make money. You make money as you're successful. I get that small royalty per unit. The more successful, the more money you make, and you get paid that quarterly. Do not ask for them to. Can you buy my idea? Can you buy my patent? Stupid, stupid, stupid. And yeah, I'm being silly in saying that because I want to emphasize it's something you should never do. Now, I'm not going to say never because I did say one scenario. Let's say you built this business and you, you're in 10,000 stores and you've got all the manufacturing figured out and all that. Then you could sell your business. OK, but that's a business, not an idea. And also get royalties or just sell the business either way. But um, do not try to sell your invention. You want to license it, okay? And if they seem resistive to it, stick to your guns. Don't go that direction. They will never pay you what it's worth. The only scenario in which I think it might make sense is if you're just, first of all, if you're dead broke and you're really having a hard time financially, you shouldn't be licensing right now. You should be doing something that brings the money in to pay your utility bill and pay your mortgage or your rent or what have you first and then license. Because when you license, the money takes about a year to come in or maybe a little more. And it can be a lot of money, but it doesn't come in right away. And so this thought that you're going to sell your idea. But if you're really strapped financially and you went against my advice, like if you're just so strapped, you, you could ask for 20K up front. But even then, they just don't like to do it. They just don't. You want to get the money on the back end. As they make money, you make money in the way of royalties. And, you know, something that you might accept $20,000 as a buyout for your product could be earning you $300,000 over time. That's not a smart move. You know, and if they don't perform, you always get it back. So Euclid, let me see if you did. No, you didn't tell me how to pronounce your name. Thank you. Uh, thank, you thank you for all your insight. Do places like Walmart manufacture ideas? No, you licensed, as I said earlier, you might have showed up later. You licensed to the companies that sell to Walmart, not to Walmart themselves, unless it's for their own house brand. But rarely do retailers license innovative stuff for their house brands. It's usually very generic stuff. So, okay, Euclid. Okay, it's Y-O-O-K-L-I-D, Euclid. Got it. Okay, now I know how to pronounce that name because I see it. It's actually not that uncommon of a name. So, yeah, Euclid. Um, now I'm so proud of myself, I can pronounce your name. Uh, you don't license to Walmart. You're going to license to the brands that sell to Walmart. In some rare case, you might license to a Walmart brand or a Target brand. But as of this point, 
the vast, that's very rare because they don't really do innovative products. They're usually just trying to do products that reduce cost and they're just not that as open to innovating with their own products. But that there it could be an exception, um, but I just don't see it happening. Um, let's see. Okay, as Spencer said, I hope you're doing well. Thanks again for sharing your, your time with us. Could you hypothetically use only line drawings and a PPA to pitch? Glad you asked that question, Spencer. The answer is no, 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 and a thousand times no. Never send provisional patent drawings um, or your patent to try to license a product. You, we teach our students to do a one page, eight and a half by 11. That's supposed to be eight and a half, 11 by a piece of paper. That's my that's me. That's my extent of my ability to mime um, and and my attempt at humor uh, <laughs> for those of you falling asleep to get your attention. Um, but, yeah, you need an eight and a half by 11 PDF, which is like an advertisement for your product. Um, and have you ever seen anybody advertise a product with a patent drawing or simple line drawings? No, you can't do that. And so you want to you want to do a sell sheet or a short 30 to 60 second video, um, but do not use PPA drawings. Do not use patent drawings and never use a patent. See, I want to license my patent, send them a copy of your patent. Never. Not because they're, oh, they're going to work around my patent. No, it's because it's a terrible sales tool. Have you ever bought anything where you looked at a patent? No, you want to show them how they're going to market it. You know, so your advertising is would basically be what their advertising looks like. Of course, yours can be cruder. It doesn't need to be beautiful and perfect. So that's to expand on your question, Spencer. It needs to be straight to the point. And they can see through an image that's not quite perfect. But really, it, it doesn't cost that much more to have a graphic designer fix it up. I really think that's very important. Sending crude uh, marketing pieces is distracting to marketers that are used to seeing things look pretty good. And we make our students, our, their sell sheets look beautiful and it makes a difference, it really does. We have a design department that does the sell sheets for our students um, and the coach, but the coach helps them with the marketing. So there's two pieces. The marketing needs to be right. Benefit statement, bullet points, um, right pictures. They need to be able to understand your product in six to 10 seconds. I would say six. I'd say 10 is too long actually. And if they're like, if they're if you're making them think, your sell sheet's not good enough. Now, what our coaches do is they work what that marketing needs to be with the student, and the student and the teacher goes back and forth, and the coach doesn't give it all to them. They give them a general direction. They let the student work on it a bit, and then they help them fix it up. Because otherwise, there's no way if a coach just did the marketing for you, you wouldn't be learning anything, right? So then when the marketing's good, the coach and the student agree, this is good marketing. It looks a little hokey. That's okay, and our design studio fix it up, and they make it beautiful. So our designers are literally just making stuff pretty. It's the coach and the student's job to make the marketing right. And so that's one thing that I'll warn you guys against. If your marketing sucks and you give it to a graphic designer, you're going to have a pretty piece of junk, and they're still going to be confused. So it has to be good marketing and look somewhat appealing. It doesn't need to be perfect, okay, but it does need to look good and not distracting. And I, I would have to say, I don't know if I've ever said this on a YouTube show before. I think I have. I, I have actually. I would say when I see uh, inventor sell sheets that are not InventRight students, um, I would say 95% of the time it's not good enough. Now I would say maybe 10% of the time it's okay. 90% um, of the time, it's really not good enough. And then maybe 10%, it's okay. But you don't want just okay. You want like, oh, I get it right away, okay? And then about 5%, I'm not exaggerating on these numbers. This is how I truly feel. About 5% of the time, when I see a non-InventRight student sell sheet, um, there, it's I'm like, oh, this is great. Like, it's very rare because it needs to accomplish that six seconds, I got it. And in, you're so up in your head about your project, you think other people are going to get it, but somebody that's seeing it for the first time needs to get it right away. It needs to make sense to them. And, and now they might go, well, I'm not interested in that product, but I get what they're doing there. I get it. I get the benefit. So <clears throat> that's what you want to accomplish. Um,
Phone, phone saver said, you missed my question, but I have submitted my first two sell sheets to two companies you mentioned online. I made up a sell sheet by going by your online info. That's great. Uh, it looks good. Okay. Well, this is what this is a um, test that I think I've shared with you guys on the uh, live stream here before. Um, take your sell sheet, phone saver. That's their handle. Uh, take your sell sheet, put it on a computer, desktop, laptop, doesn't matter. Show it to somebody you've never talked to before. It could be somebody that is your mom and thinks everything you do is great. It could be somebody that is super judgmental. It could be a stranger. It could be a friend. It doesn't matter. Have, but it has to be somebody you've never shown it to before. Stand behind the computer. Pull it up. Say nothing. Look at their eyes. See if they're confused. See, and if they start talking, don't say anything. Let them talk. If they're asking questions, if they're, you know, if they're quickly going, oh, I get this, this does this and this. And just don't say anything. Do not help them. And if they get it in six seconds, then phone saver, that is good enough. If, if you see confusion and they're not getting it that quick, it's not good enough. Because when you're sending it to companies, you don't, you don't know. You might think it's good enough. So you might be right. You might be in that 5% of non-invent rights students where I see the sell sheet and I, I'm like, that's, that's good. I totally get it right away. Um, but just in case, I would test it out, okay? Uh, Edgar, hi, Big Andrew. <laughs> big Andrew, okay. I joined InventRight. I'm not really that big. I'm five foot eight and a half or so, but I'm very, very average Andrew. But if you said, hi, average Andrew, I think I would be upset. So thank you. Um, I joined InventRight. The coach asked me what my invention was. Could I, could I trust my coach with knowledge, with with knowing exactly what my invention is. Absolutely, you can. So we sign, which you probably got by now. Maybe you just joined. But you get an NDA. Everything you share with our coaches is confidential. We don't take any percentage. And if a coach has a suggestion for improvement, I had one for a student earlier today, you own everything. So you absolutely, they need to know everything about your invention and everything is confidential and that otherwise, what's the benefit of coaching? Absolutely, you can. So feel free to share anything with your coach. And thank you for signing up. I think it, I think you're going to really enjoy. All our coaches are amazing. Um, we don't have any any mediocre coaches, in my opinion. Um, and if for some reason you ever feel any sense of mediocrity whatsoever, call me personally. If you call the main number and you ask for Andrew, say you're a student, uh, you, they'll, they'll put you through to me. Um, let's see. Uh, Kissed by Dirk is the handle. Hello, Andrew. I have a publishing company in Tennessee that is interested in my book. They're asking for 25%. Is that a decent number? Well, first off, publishing is licensing, but it's completely a different separate business. I wouldn't, for instance, take somebody on as an InventRight student that said, I'm just publishing books. I wouldn't do that. If somebody said, I'm publishing books, plus I'm working on inventions, I'd say, you know, a lot of stuff we're going to teach is going to be helpful to publishing, but I would not just join if you're just doing publishing. So um, they're asking for 25%. I don't know what that means. Like they're going to pay you a 25% royalty on every book. That's pretty damn good. But again, people get obsessed with the royalty. If, if that is the case, um, they're asking for a royalty rate and then they're providing you with a royalty rate. And then what's the price of the product and what kind of volume? If there's some rinky-dink publisher, they're giving you a 25% uh, royalty, but they're only going to sell a 1,000 books, you're not going to be very happy. And then they're going to lock up your books so you can't license it to anybody else. So I don't know if that's what you're talking about, but 25% royalty for the publishing business is, is like, that's too much. I think that would be too much. Um, that would be crazy. Um, but again, take a look at what, they're going to do with it, you know, who they are. They're only going to sell hundred books a year. And I think 25% is too low. <laughs> so, um, uh, uh, Deidre said, okay, so the company that wants to represent me is a 30 year research and development company. They manufacture and also distribute want to represent my product of 45 companies. Is that good? It sounds like an invention promotion company, uh, Deidre. And if uh, I, I don't, it doesn't feel right to me, but I don't know. You need to research that company, see if there's any complaints about them. Okay. 
Um, and I never make statements about any company in particular ever. I have that very strict policy. People go, what do you think? I'm, I'm talking about, we make comments about particular companies our students are trying to license to. When there's a service provider that says they'll license the product for you, I'm like, I, I can't talk about those companies. I could get sued for that. I never um, mention any company in particular ever, nor do any of our employees ever. Um, uh, Matt says, hi, I'm interested in your kickstart, your idea call. Could you talk about that service a bit? I'm wondering if I could prepare for before doing the call. Yeah, so we have this really cool thing that um, we do a 90-minute kickstart call. So first off, we never do hourly consulting. Um, we And first of all, I don't call it consulting. Consulting is a dirty word to me. Consultants stringing along for more billable hours and try to make you dependent on them. When we coach and mentor people, we're giving you every all the answers you need and we're trying to make you independent of us. So consultant to me is my funny little thing of saying is a dirty word. I don't think all consultants are bad. I think a lot of them are. Um, I think they, but you know, hey, if you're looking for somebody to do it all for you, you know, you get what you look for sometimes. So um, so Matt's asking about our kickstart call. The one exception we do make is we do a one-time 90-minute kickstart call. I forget what it what the price is. You can consult, it's pretty affordable. Um, and it's not a tease. So, um, it's 90 minutes where we give it your all, Matt. So I would suggest, um, doing as much research as you can on other products that are out there go on Google images, look at all those other products. Um, and everybody gets different things out of that kickstart call. One thing that people are surprised by is when people sign up for the 90 minute kickstart call, 60% of the people that sign up for that end up signing up for a coaching program. Now, it's not a tease. And I literally only had one guy ever. We've had a lot of people do the Kickstart calls that ever complain about the Kickstart call. And he was he was a little off his rocker, if you ask me. So people are super happy. People do it and they never sign up with their coaching. They're like, wow, I got so much out of that. And then 60% of people that sign up do end up signing up with our coaching. And then we credit that towards the coaching. So that's not a sales pitch for a Kickstart. Never had anybody ask about that on a coaching call. But I would say... Do as much research. Um, send all that information to your coach ahead of time. Really very clear about what your product is, what the competing products are. Really do your research on Google to look at all the competing products. Know what your questions are. And everybody has different things that are bothering them. You know, how do I reach out to companies? Um, how do I make my list of companies? Um, uh, you know, what what angles can I come at this from an intellectual property patenting standpoint on this? Um, you know, sharing some of your concerns about the process. So, and, and just putting all that in email to your coach before you meet with them for that one 90 minute Kickstart call and you'll get so much more out of it. So prepare, provide them with not 50 pages, but a, a thorough summary of what the product is so that they can, you can get even more help there. Um, and uh, the feedback on those have been great. So um, don't normally talk about those, but thank you for, for bringing that up. And we do credit that towards the coaching if you want to, but it's not a tease. It's 90 minutes of just hardcore giving you as much as you as you can get out of that 90 minutes. Um, the, the downside of it, of course, is when we're coaching and mentoring somebody for six months, there's, there's always the follow-up. And with that one 90-minute session, there is no follow-up. So, you, but it, it's a kickstart. It'll get you going, you know. And um, I, I think you'll, I think you'll find it very beneficial. Um, William said, if a trademark has to be used in commerce or they're no good, um, shouldn't we wait till we license the product before applying for one? I'm not saying trademarks are no good, but yeah, that's what our students do. Our students will just do a common law trademark, like right up here where it says TM, right there. Um, and just put TM on all their stuff completely free. There's nothing else you need to do. There's nothing you need to file. You're just putting them notice you intend on using it. And if they really like the name, well, then you can register it, you know, and license that in a package along with your patent. You know, if they care about a patent, if they don't care about a patent, you can still do a licensing deal. We get students all the time file provisionals. Companies like, we don't care about filing a patent, but yeah, we'll commit to paying you a royalty on it. And the licensing agreement commits them to paying a royalty regardless of any patent. People are like, oh my God, you can do that? I didn't think you could do that. And it's like, yeah, our students do that all the time. And that that's a, a big um, 
surprise to a lot of people. So I'm sure some of you on here are surprised by that, but it's not surprising to us. Um, so I'm not saying it doesn't have value. It does. We had um, we had one student. This is very odd. And it only happened once. Where the, the and it's very odd, and it goes against whatever what I was you know, saying, but it's kind of an interesting story. We had this student pitch this product. The company wasn't as for the product, but they loved the trademark for the types of products they were selling. They ended up licensing the trademark. Now, that is one time in 21 years with students in 65 countries, okay? Now, I think they had just done the common law trademark. I don't think it was even registered. I don't recall for sure. But um, so I'm not saying they're not valuable, but they have value when they have a product in commerce. And it's just kind of putting them kind of on notice um, when you do the common law trademark, which is the TM or the registered trademark. And if you're going out and spending $1,500, $2,200 every time you come up with an idea or a clever name, it's kind of an expensive risk to take that our students don't, don't tend to take. We have some people that have done it before they come on board. I'm like, you don't really need to do that. So again, that's not legal advice. That's just, I'm just telling you what a lot of our students do. Um, uh, Thoughtful Jones says, hi, Andrew. If a company said they would sign my NDA, um, wow, the numbers really jump up uh, for the number of people attending from the beginning. Everybody's late. You guys got to show up on time. Get get more answers, questions answered. Get more answers, question. There you go. Uh, <laughs> uh, you can do that too. Hello, Andrew. If a company said they would sign my NDA, however, the one I sent to them has a three-year enforcement of confidentially is a problem because my patent takes three to five years. You got to be careful with sending NDAs that are too, um, first off, and again, this, none of this is legal advice. If you ask every company to sign your NDA, you're going to feel like you're beating your head up against a brick wall. You really you really are. And people are like, what? Like you've got your provisional patent application, which is your placeholder in time. Um, NDAs really freak companies out because they don't want to like if it says, like you come up with anything similar, like I can sue you and stuff like that. It freaks them out. You know, and I'll, I'll tell you, you got to be careful about, and that's a really long conversation When's an NDA appropriate? I'll tell you when it happens with most of our students, which is you're going to think that's ass backwards, Andrew. Like you filed your PPA. That's your protection. You send it in some companies. Company shows interest. They've seen your sell sheet. They start to move forward and they want more details. They want some CAD drawings. They want some more details. They want you to send some specs, something like that. Asking them to sign an NDA then, that's very normal because now you're the one in 100 inventors that they got an idea from that they showed interest in. But if you ask every company to sign your NDA, you know, like, then that marketing person you send over to legal, get approval, and it just mucks everything up. Now, if it's their NDA and, it, and it's been approved by their attorney, that's fine. And if they ask you to sign their NDA, you got to read through it. But as long as there's nothing nasty in there, I go ahead and sign it, you know, as long as it's okay. Because that's the NDA that their attorney approved, and it's always the same NDA. But just imagine they get 100, 200 ideas a month, and every inventor has their own NDA. They need to check to see you didn't try to own their company in there. It says you're going to own their company or something silly like that. It's just a very unpractical thing. Um, and so when you follow your PPA and you're like, no, nah, I'm good. I got my PPA. That's the way a lot of, that's the way all of our students handle it, basically. Um, now, if you want to share more details later and you're that one in 100 inventors that they showed interest from, then, um, and you've got more technical things to show, they're almost always okay with an NDA. You know, but then you got to be careful if you have an NDA with an improvements clause, that might be going too far from them, that might piss them off. So um, it, that's a long discussion that we have with our students. But so I've just given an overview. Again, none of this is legal advice. Consult your attorney before moving forward with anything. Um, uh, lucky, that's quite a handle. Well, you, you wrote your name is Mike, but your handle is Lucky Gargoyle Corvette. Okay. <laughs> but um, is this an ugly Corvette? I don't know. Um, personally, I'm not a Corvette guy. I, I like the classic Stingrays. Some of those are really cool. I just, I, I'm not a big Corvette guy. Not, not that I, people are surprised, but I got a diesel truck because I bought an RV decades ago and I became a truck guy. I was really more of a sports car guy, but um, I'd rather, I don't know if I go with sports car anymore these days. But, um, well, I'd probably go with a Tesla, which doesn't really look like a sports car a lot of them. I probably, if I got a sports car, it'd probably be a Tesla, a really cool looking one. 
But um, anyway, Mike, let's finally get to your question. Um, love the books. Once a PPA is done, should a cold sale email be sent with a secure link to a YouTube presentation or wait for a response? So when our students send a YouTube link, we, we always tell our students, do not publicly disclose your invention. But if you make your YouTube video unlisted, not private, because if you make it private, there's, there's three basic things. There's public, um, there's private, and there's unlisted. Private's all messed up because then you need their YouTube username. They're not their YouTube username. If you make it unlisted, literally only people that you send the link to can see it. That's essentially like a password um, without having to enter the password. Um, so that's what our students do. We always tell people never publicly put your product up on YouTube. Now, if you've been venturing and selling and stuff before, that's fine. But uh, if if you're trying to license it, so you're asking, or you should, should it be sent with a secure link to a YouTube presentation? Yeah, it's either a link to a YouTube, uh, unlisted YouTube video or a sell sheet that you're emailing. And and then you wait for a response, yeah. So, but you, have, you wanna ask permission to send it first. Don't just blindly start sending YouTube video links. You wanna ask permission. So that's a whole nother discussion. But, um, and our students reach out, they reach out on the phone, they reach out via email, they reach out on LinkedIn is a big one. And we have a whole separate program included with our coaching program, which teaches people just how to reach out on LinkedIn. Um, so that's great. But some companies, they're, um, they're not on LinkedIn, you know, or that the marketing manager only goes on there when they're looking for a job. Other guys are on there every day. Some are on there once a month or every couple of weeks. So if you can't get somebody on LinkedIn, you're going to pick up the stupid phone or email them. Um, but LinkedIn is usually the first method. Stephen and myself are old school. We just pick up the phone. I mean, if, hey, if they pick up the phone and the gatekeeper's like, oh, that's Bob. He likes email. Send him an email or I'll put you through to his voicemail. That's a lot easier, you know, but people are afraid of that. So a lot of our students, they'll reach out on LinkedIn first. And for the ones they can't reach, then they'll reach out on the phone and via email. Um, there are different techniques for getting people's emails too. Um, Uh, J Bell said, um, and that's your handle. Your handle is J Bell, J Bell, and your name is J Bell. Okay. Uh, <laughs> do, do licensing agreements ever contain caveats such as must feature on end cap displays for one month and first five months? Yeah, you can do whatever the hell you want, but don't do things that that would freak them out. Like to say that it has to be featured on end cap within the first five months. Like, they may be able to pull that off with the buyer at the store. They may not. But you can put anything you want in a contract. The question is, is it smart to do so? And so the main thing is minimum guarantees. They have to pay you a minimum amount every quarter. Otherwise, you can take it back. And that's usually a fraction of what you know they can sell. They don't want to be paying you royalties on something that they didn't successfully launch. So that's a main caveat, as you put it. But it has to be featured on NCAP in the first five months. I would never advise one of our students to do that. Um, that's too much. But great question, and I think everybody learned from it. So that's fantastic. I, I love the question. Um, uh, Chrissy said, so I have a utility patent and a prototype. I just need to get it to market. Uh, well, that's the hard part. The utility patent, the prototype was the easy part, Chrissy. I just need to get it to market. I'm a contractor, and right now money is tight. Well, okay. If money was tight, Chrissy, I would have not spent the money on either utility patent or the prototype. But, you know, everything's a learning experience. So next time, don't do that. You, you don't need a prototype to license a product and you don't need a utility patent. You could have filed a $75 provisional and you could have like looked at similar products and go, I know they can make this and not even made a prototype. Instead, just made a sell sheet. But that's all bridge, water, bridge under the water, water under the bridge, right? Um, so... If money is tight, you know, you need to now reach out to these potential licensees. You got a utility patent. Great. That's an asset. If you're able to license it, if you're not, it's a liability. You don't need to do that next time. And you've got a nice uh, prototype or it's a, I assume it's a nice prototype, but you need a marketing piece now. And then you need to start reaching out to your potential licensees, not two or three, but 20 or 30. And, and you need to figure out who those are. So that's, there's some basics for what you need to do next. And so don't stress about the utility pad and the prototype thing. I'm not, I'm not giving you a hard time. I am a little bit just as a learning experience, but tons of people do exactly what you did. Tons of people do, vast majority of people do, but you know next time you don't need to do that because you said you're thin financially. So by doing that, 
you would have had money to do a marketing piece and other things, and maybe you still do. Um, so I would encourage you to still move forward, get your marketing together, and the rest of the work you can do yourself. Um, you don't need to spend a bunch of money and don't fall for these invention scam companies either. Um, okay, John said, I've created an invention. I think it's probably the last one we're going to do. Um, I created an invention related to golf swing. After completing a patent search, I was introduced to an engineering firm. They are very excited about the product and they want a royalty. What is fair? Okay, so if you're what you're saying, I'm going to just assume what you're saying, that you need some more engineering done um, and you want this engineering firm to figure that out for you and then give them a percentage of your royalties. It all depends on how much, how involved it would be. So, you know, and you need to sell them on licensing. It says they want, they want a royalty. That's great. So if you can get them to work for you as engineers and just give them a percentage of your royalty, maybe it's, maybe it's 10% of your royalty. Maybe it's half, maybe it's 25%. It depends on how much work they're doing, you know? And if what they're doing is, is just labor, or maybe there's some um, hard costs that are involved where they're needing to make a prototype or something, I, I can't answer that question. You know, it, it depends on how much work they're doing. But to give them a percentage to do what I call work on the come. So um, you only have to pay them if you successfully license it. I, I love that. I think that's great if that's what you're saying. Um, hi, Sam. Nice to see you. Um, Phone server says, thanks, Andrew. I'll keep that in mind. Uh, Sam said, can't team up with anyone out there. Um, you know, Sam, I have a new game. Was Sam, was it, were you the one with the video game earlier? Sam, nobody's going to be as excited about your product as you. The person you team up with is the company that you license to. Yes, licensing is all about teaming up. It's their money, it's their workforce, and it's their manufacturing and their distribution. But you need to do the work to approach those companies and then you're teaming up with them essentially, and you're putting everything on them. Um, uh, Deidre said, woohoo, Andrew, you were the best. Thank you. Um, James. Uh, yeah. You know, I didn't want to quote how much the kickstart was. I thought, I think James, I think, I think that is what we currently charge for kickstart is two ninety nine, which is a deal. I don't remember if it went to three forty nine. If you talk to one of our um, salespeople, just book a call on our contact us page, talk to a salesperson, um, I, I, I believe that's what it is. I wasn't sure if we raised it to 349, we might've, you think as a co-founder, I would know, but I don't remember. Um, uh, uh, Mike Lucky Gargoyle Corvette said, thank you for the insight. This is fantastic. We appreciate your time. So for those of you that appreciate your time, uh, my time, um, I want to ask a favor of you. If you could give this video a thumbs up, and if you're not subscribed, when you subscribe to YouTube show, nothing really happens, but it helps us. Um, and we hit 50,000 subscribers. I'd like to hit 80,000 subscribers in the next um, eight months or so. So click the subscribe button. If it already says subscribe, don't click on it again. They'll unsubscribe you. So if you want to do me a favor, if you're like, damn, Andrew gave me an hour free of his time. I should be paying for this. I really appreciate it. Please subscribe. Click thumbs up on this video and click thumbs up on a ton of other of our videos. And if there's a video you don't like, just don't click thumbs up on that one. <laughs> and we really appreciate that. So that's the way you can kind of pay it, pay it back. I don't I guess that's not pay it forward. But um, so I really appreciate you guys. Um, thank you, August, 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 Pusson 11. Thank you for, for subscribing. I appreciate it. Um, and I remind you guys to take care, keep inventing. If you want to learn more about how we coach a mentor, go to inventright.com. Um, Dana and Sylvia, who talked to people about the program, super friendly, never pushy. If you guys want to talk to one of them, you can just book on the contact us page and talk to them about the program. And if not, you can just take, keep taking advantage of all our YouTube show and all the free stuff. And if you want to kind of step it up a notch from there, you can get our book, One Simple Idea. Um, that is, I would recommend that book as a first book to read as one of our books. we got a bunch of books. And I want to remind you guys, take care, keep inventing, and we'll see you later. Bye. <laughs>